This is Faith Ignited, the podcast where we put God back into history. Episode 10, Lady with a Lamp. The ward was quiet, except the occasional moan or sleepless shifting of a patient still awake in the late hours of the night. A soldier, sandwiched between two other ill men, lay with his eyes open, the pain preventing his slumber. His wounded leg was excruciating in and of itself, but his battle with typhoid was the real source of his discomfort. The nausea and chills were miserable. When he'd first arrived at the Scutari Hospital, he'd been disheartened by the state of the place. The barracks had been converted into a place to care for the injured or ill, but the conditions would have had any soldier wishing for immediate and merciful death on the battlefield. The filthy walls, floors, and ceiling, rats scurrying across the floor while bugs, lice, and fleas swarmed the officer's clothing and bedding. The overpowering stench of body odor, waste, and death. Disease spread rapidly in such conditions, and he'd contracted typhoid just after his internment for his leg injury. But many changes had been made since then. It had all started with the group of volunteer British nurses arriving just months earlier. The floors, walls, and ceiling had been scrubbed. New bedding, clothing, and towels had been brought. If nothing more, the improved conditions had done wonders to lift the soldiers' spirits, to say nothing of how it improved their healing process. A dull light came to the soldier's attention. He lifted his head ever so gently to be able to see the source of it. The light bounced back and forth, moving between the cots. As the light drew near, he could make out the silhouette of a woman, tall, slender, and graceful. She was holding a lamp in her hand, and with the light bathing her compassionate face, she looked like an angel. It was a pretty face, with delicate skin, pensive gray eyes, and framed by dark hair. He could hear her gentle inquiries of those still awake, asking after their condition and their comfort. Perhaps she was an angel, he thought for a fleeting moment. Who else would be so concerned about their needs? Whether a heavenly being or not, he had no doubt that her presence was an act of mercy from God, and that she, and those under her direction, had come to ease their suffering. For most of us, nurses are present to witness both our entry and our exit from this world. Nursing is considered one of the noblest and most widely respected professions, but it wasn't always that way. Up until the mid-1800s, there was no formal training or education for nurses. A lot of infirmaries were originally run by nuns or other religiously-based groups. But outside of that, nursing was considered a job for the lower class. And part of that was because of the terrible conditions. This is before hygiene and sanitation became a priority. In fact, it was so bad that nurses would often show up drunk to work just to be able to stand the stench. There were even situations where women who'd committed crimes and were subject to jail time were given options to shorten their sentence by working as a nurse. So when it came down to how society perceived it, nursing was generally associated with both the immoral and the uneducated. So it's both interesting and inspiring to note that it was a woman who was both educated and exceptionally moral that came and changed the world's perspective of this occupation. 
Her name was Florence Nightingale. And while her name is still well known, her legacy and why she did what she did is something that has faded from the memories of the public, even from those who now work in the profession that she helped to establish. So let's take a look at her story. Florence Nightingale was born in the year 1820. Her father was a very wealthy British landowner, and her parents were vacationing in Florence, Italy when she was born, which of course is what inspired her name. Her sister Parthenope was also named after her birthplace, but a fun side note is that the name Florence had never been used as a first name previous to this. It only became popular because of the accomplishments of Florence Nightingale. Florence's father, unlike most men of his time, felt that educating his daughters was of utmost importance. So much so that he wouldn't trust their education to anyone but himself. He taught his daughters Italian, Latin, Greek, philosophy, history, writing, and mathematics. The only thing he allowed the governess to teach them was music and drawing. And Florence was an incredibly bright student. She excelled at her academics, and she was also very pretty, having more than her fair share of attention from young men. As a young woman of the upper class, she spent a lot of her youth attending parties and social events, as well as traveling abroad. She had pretty much every advantage that you can imagine. But something disrupted this course that she was on, and it's the part of the story that is usually left out which is kind of ironic, considering that it would become the central and most motivating experience of her life. In her personal notes, she wrote, God spoke to me and called me into his service. This moment in Florence's life was as unexpected as it was profound. It was the first of several experiences that she would have where she felt God reach out to her, confirming her mission and her purpose. Initially, she really didn't have any idea what this service might entail. Florence said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, so I have said in my youth. She would spend the next several years of her life wondering just what God expected of her, especially with how strict and limited the influence and options were for women at that time. She was torn between what she felt God calling her to do and what her family expected. She wrote that to make herself, quote, worthy to be God's servant, the first temptation to be overcome was the desire to shine in society. You see, the wealth and ease experienced by those like the Nightingales stood in sharp contrast to the hunger and illness existing among the lower classes at that time. 1842 was a terrible year of suffering in England. Poverty and sickness led to horribly overcrowded workhouses and hospitals. There's a reason the era would later be termed the Hungry Forties. Florence wrote in a private note, My mind is absorbed with the idea of the sufferings of man. It besets me behind and after. All that poets sings of the glories of this world seem to me untrue. All the people I see are eaten up with care or poverty or disease. Florence, despite the ease of her own situation, was able to see the needs of other people. She began spending her time taking medicine and supplies to the poor and sick families who lived on her father's property. More and more, she became convinced that this is what God was calling her to do. 
she was torn between the life her family had planned for her and the path that she felt God calling her to. And then in 1844, the brief encounter of a visiting guest at her parents' home offered her the words of encouragement that she was looking for. Lawrence peered at their guests over the rim of her teacup, her intrigue growing more and more by the minute. As Americans, she'd somewhat expected the newlywed couple to be unconventional, but Dr. Samuel Howe and his wife were something else entirely. After all, how many people would spend their honeymoon touring charitable institutions, schools, and prisons in Europe? Dr. Howe had explained that he was currently working as the director for the New England Institution for the Education of the Blind in Massachusetts, the first of its kind in America. Both Dr. Howe and his wife Julia, who was only a year older than Florence herself, were obviously passionate and driven people. They were people of action, something Florence greatly respected. The clock over the fireplace sounded an elegant ding, alerting the room of the change in the hour. Florence's eyes flicked toward it, surprised how quickly the time had passed. The events of everyday life usually felt quite slow and insignificant. As much as she loved her family, it was difficult for her to see her hours being spent in entertaining, socializing, and ease. It had been five years since she'd heard that initial call from God, yet Florence still felt that she'd made very little progress toward fulfilling that commission. She'd acquired as many books as she could on public health, consistently waking before dawn and studying by the light of a lamp. But she ached to make a difference beyond the walls of her family's property. She needed hands-on experience. Her mother already complained of Florence's request for extra medicine and supplies for the families living on the property, and both she and her father had been very upset when she'd rejected a suitor who'd offered for her hand. When she'd requested to spend several months at the Salisbury Infirmary, run by a family friend, her family had been so furious and completely adamant against it. Parthenope had looked near fainting. Florence frowned. How could they possibly understand what was driving her? That she felt God was calling her to ease others' suffering. As the guests moved about the room, Florence finally spotted her opening. The house were sitting alone with enough space for a quiet conversation. Florence rose to her feet, picking up her skirts and crossing the room toward them. Perhaps Dr. Howe, with his diverse experience and obvious interest in helping others, might prove a listening ear to her plight and have some sound advice to give. Might I ask your opinion on a matter? Florence asked, taking a seat near them as her hands gently smoothed the fabric of her gown. Dr. Howe was a bit older than his wife, in his early forties, and he wore a beard and mustache. Though he possessed a commanding air, he didn't seem completely unapproachable. When he urged her to continue, Florence pressed on. Dr. Howe, do you think it would be unsuitable and unbecoming for a young English woman to devote herself to works of charity and hospitals as Catholic sisters do? Do you think it would be a dreadful thing? Dr. Howe hesitated only a moment before answering with a hint of a smile. My dear Miss Florence, it would be unusual, and in England, whatever is unusual is apt to be thought of as unsuitable. But I say to you, go forward if you have a vocation for that life. Act up to your inspiration, and you will find that there is never anything unbecoming or unladylike in doing your duty for the good of others. Choose, go on with it wherever it leads you, and God will be with you." Florence stared back at him, amazed by his direct and stirring response. 
It was so refreshing to finally hear someone express a philosophy with which she might so wholeheartedly agree. And she was struck by the truth of his words. After all, had not Christ said that anyone that was not willing to leave both father and mother and follow him was not worthy of him? Maybe she needed to make the decision in spite of her family, and God would be with her. The Howes returned to America. Both were fierce abolitionists during the Civil War. And you may recall that in a previous episode, I told of how Julia Ward Howe, under inspiration, would write what became the Union's anthem, Battle Hymn of the Republic. Their first daughter would actually be named Florence, after Florence Nightingale. Brief as this encounter was, it seems that it was very impactful for Florence, and she clearly took the advice to heart. She would spend the next nine years battling the restraints of her position and the disapproval of her family. But as much as she loved and was devoted to her family, it's clear that Florence loved and was more devoted to God. Her aunt wrote to her mother about Florence, saying that she herself had discouraged Florence's pursuits, but that she had come to, quote, the conviction that nothing on earth will change it, that she will never be happy with herself or able to make her family happy in her present mode of life, tenderly as she loves them. Eventually, Florence's family did come to terms with her decision. She went to Germany and then Paris, getting hands-on experience and observing the organization of hospitals there. Recording her initial impression in Germany, she said, I felt so sure that it was God's work. She later was offered a position as a superintendent at a hospital in London. And all of these things gave her key experience for what was to come, because Britain was on the brink of war. The Crimean War was a conflict between Russia and the allied force of Britain, France, and the Ottoman Empire. It was first sparked by a disagreement over who controlled the holy sites over in Jerusalem. Initially, it was very popular among the people in Britain, but the human cost of the war ended up being very great. And the worst part was, most of the soldiers didn't die on the battlefield. The majority of those who died perished in army hospitals from disease or poor care. The British army hospitals were overcrowded and unsanitary. And when it became known that the French were taking better care of their wounded and ill soldiers than the British were, they began looking for someone qualified to go and turn the situation around. They selected the most qualified and connected person they could, and it was Florence Nightingale. She and the team of 38 nurses that she selected to go with her traveled to the Scutari Army Hospital in Turkey. It was the first time a woman had ever been inside of an army hospital, and she did face some opposition from some of the people who were in charge who didn't like the idea of her coming and turning everything on its head. But in the end, Florence was able to prevail and called for drastic changes to turn things around. The changes that she implemented took the mortality rate from 42% to 2%. As you can imagine, the soldiers held her in the highest esteem. She had come to do for them what no one else would, and it was said that they felt like kissing her very shadow as she walked by. They began calling her the Lady with the Lamp because of the rounds that she'd make at night. A report sent back to England said, When silence and darkness have settled upon those miles of prostrate sick, she may be observed alone with a little lamp in her hand, making the solitary rounds. Florence had remarkable stamina. 
She would sometimes work up to 22-hour shifts. But when she came back from Crimea two years later, she was very ill from the work and the conditions that she'd been through. Her health never would be the same. And she suffered from frequent bouts of illness the rest of her life. But that didn't hinder her work. She wrote about 200 books and pamphlets on hospitals, sanitation, and other issues related to health. She became friends with Queen Victoria, helping to encourage reforms in the hospitals and army life. She opened the very first nursing school at St. Thomas's Hospital in London, which still exists today. Her fame became widespread. Her name was spoken with the greatest degree of respect and admiration by the highest and lowliest of persons alike. Kings and queens consulted her. Even Abraham Lincoln asked for her advice on Civil War hospitals. Today, she is remembered as the founder of modern nursing. But what's often overlooked is her motivation. She was simply trying to follow the call of her master. In fact, when Florence began her nursing career at age 30, she noted that it was also in his 30th year that Jesus Christ began his ministry. She once told a gathered assembly of nurses, Christ is the author of our profession. Florence believed that God made the world and governed it by laws, and that we do as well when we've discovered them. Which is one of the reasons that she had such an emphasis on sanitation, and that is still reflected in our medical system today. She believed in doing careful research to understand those laws, and that by implementing them we could become, as she put it, God's fellow workers. Every year, on the anniversary of her initial call from God at age 17, she would evaluate her progress toward that goal, wondering if she'd done what God expected of her. I honestly don't know if I've studied anyone who was more determined to do God's will than Florence Nightingale. She selflessly and consistently tended to the needs of others before herself. Christ said that he who is greatest among you will be your servant. Condescension is one of the most beautiful principles. We know that Christ came from a high and exalted place, and he lowered himself into the position of man so he could serve us and heal us. One of the reasons I love Florence Nightingale is because she too came from a place of high position and comfort, and she gave it all up to lower herself into the service of her fellow beings. She saw herself as someone called by God to be, quote, a savior to the poor. Someone called up from the crowd of history for a special purpose at a special time. In a letter that she wrote six months after she returned from Crimea, she said, I am in sympathy with God, fulfilling the promise I came into the world for. The only break that she took from her public work was to nurse her dying father, and then her dying mother, and then her dying sister. Florence herself would live to the remarkable age of 90. I have such admiration for Florence Nightingale, and that she really, truly put into practice what she believed. She was always a great reader, and she spent a lot of time studying the Bible, as well as a lot of different sermons and books on faith and religion, but when it came down to it, she believed that faith was really quite simple. She would sometimes have religious disagreements with her father because she felt that he overcomplicated religion. In a letter she sent to him, she wrote what she believed was the summary of faith. The letter said, It strikes me that all truth lies between these two. Man sang to God as Samuel did, 
Lord, here am I. And God saying to man, as Christ did in the storm, Lo, it is I, be not afraid. And neither is complete without the other. God says to man in suffering, in misery, in degradation, in anxiety, in imbecility, in loss of the bitterest kind, in sin, most of all in sin, Lo, it is I, be not afraid. This is the eternal passion of God, and man must say to him, Lord, here am I to work at these things. Florence spent her entire life saying, Lord, here am I. She truly lived up to the title that she earned, Lady with the Lamp, not just in the literal sense. She carried the light of faith that illuminated her path. It's a light that's available to all who sit in darkness, because when we cry out, God will always respond. Lo, it is I, be not afraid. Christ's light can and will penetrate our hearts, calling us to his service and igniting our faith. 